welcome to Happy Full Finding What Works, a podcast navigating mental health and wellbeing support so you can find what works for you. I'm your host, Kat Nichols, writer, content creator, and curious navigator of all things wellness. Sit back, relax, and let's find what works for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Happy Full Finding What Works. In the introductory episode of this podcast, I promised an episode on eating and today is the day we're going to be getting into it. And if you listen to that episode, you'll know as well why this is a particularly personal topic for me, because I experienced an eating disorder in my teens. So I truly do know how complicated this can get. With that in mind, I do want to make a note that we are going to be mentioning disordered eating in this episode. So please do take care listening. And joining me today to navigate this topic is registered nutritional therapist, Keisha Thomas. Thank you for being here, Keisha. To start with, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. So hello, I'm Keisha Thomas. I'm a registered nutritional therapist. Um, As Catherine mentioned, I'm also a qualified Pilates instructor. I work predominantly with eating disorder recovery, body image recovery, um, and I recently completed my master's in sport and exercise nutrition. A lot of the people who I see in my private practice come to me from a background of sports and have transitioned out of sport and are finding new ways to be in this world and interact with food that it isn't just tied to performance which we can get on a little bit later today. Amazing thank you and yes so eating is this topic that can be really complicated and I'm sure you know this better than most so can you tell us a little bit more about why eating the food that we eat why can it be so complicated? Yeah, I mean, there's so many reasons. And I think the first thing is that that we have so much morality that we can attach to food these days. And there's so many messages that come from different places. We grow up in a society where food has been labeled as being good and bad for you. And people get so confused as to know, how do I actually just eat in a way that is self-caring to my mental and physical well-being? Well, I say to my mental and physical well-being most people don't think about the mental well-being part of it they think about physical well-being for me I always say these two things cannot be separated so we have that so one we have different messages coming from different places we have hierarchies that we place on bodies so certain looks and bodies are seen to be quote-unquote better than others and so people have this complicated relationship with food where they're using food not to nourish themselves but to shape themselves so that they can be accepted because that is the world that we live in there aren't many people who don't subscribe to that belief and that narrative and then there's the ethical side of things as well so you know wanting you know for those of us who eat in that way that is ethically eaten in a way that is ethical let's say knowing that the right thing to do again different messages coming from different places and then it all I feel can really feed into this feeling of guilt around food people never really feel that they're doing the right thing and on top of all of that we have to pay for this food it's it's a resource that we cannot live without and it costs money we'll get on a bit more I think to social um, and cultural connections of you know around food later on but for sure they can often be the difficulty in wanting to eat in a certain way but not maybe not being able to afford it and then the guilt and the shame that can come with that which isn't needed I want to say though people feel that it's not their fault and I feel they shouldn't but I like to shouldn't too much but yeah there's so many different layers there to unpick isn't there and it's so many layers yeah and I definitely resonate with what you're saying about the morality of food especially that's something I've had to learn in my journey to unpick and come away from and the eating for your mental and physical health 
they are intertwined and I think there are certain meals and certain things that you eat that you eat to make you feel good and sometimes that's okay if it's nothing more than that yes that's a really interesting point and yeah I'd love to hear a little bit more about your personal relationship with eating and maybe how that's changed and maybe what drew you to the work that you do now Sure. So, I, I mean, I always love, I would love to say there was this like really neat journey that took me to do the, but a lot of it was by chance, but I'll start with my own personal relationship with food. So I grew up doing a lot of sport. I, at a very young age, um, so I'm a child of the eighties and I grew up, and I don't know if it, I think it still does happen now in the UK, in London, where once a year, the school nurse would come weigh you. And I was always quite a heavy child, I was a heavy baby. And then that was just my body type and what it was. And I, I never, ever thought about my, my body size or its weight or anything like that until when I was about eight or nine, I think. And I had a school nurse weigh me. I couldn't even tell you what the number was, but I know that there was some concern around my weight. Thankfully, my mom told me, but she didn't, there was no recommendation for me to lose weight. It was just she's worried about your weight. And then I started to think about my weight and I started to really focus on my weight and think about it a lot. So what that led to for me was a lot of preoccupation with the scales and just being aware of what I was eating. I didn't have, you know, I was eight, nine, so I didn't have the knowledge to know that if I did this with my food, this might happen to my weight. It wasn't that clear back then. That sort of wasn't, it wasn't so prevalent either, but I do remember there was always this link between me making sure that I was always being active and being aware of a number on the scale. Had no idea what this number meant, didn't know what it meant in relation to the peers in my class or anything like that. Coming into secondary school, I remember another incident in school, and I'm, I'm being very cautious of how I share things, I'm trying not to give any numbers, but I remember another incident in school where we, we measured body parts in a science class. Yeah, and when I say out loud now, I'm like, what on earth? <laughs> right, I went to an all-girls school, and we were measuring body parts. It was a male scientist <laughs> teacher, not the greatest experiment, you know, for teenage girls. So we measured things like our wrist, but then one of the things we measured was our thighs. And now I had this reference. It was I, me measuring my thighs and my then best friend measuring her thighs. And I knew there was a difference. And again, I was just like, well, why are my thighs bigger? So then I had this preoccupation with my thighs and that went on for many years. So that was, when I was about 15. I can honestly say I dieted, tried my quote unquote best to diet all throughout my twenties. It was just yo-yo, on diet, off diet, on diet, off diet. I loved food. I loved sport. I knew I needed energy to do the sport that I did. Um, I knew I loved to eat food. I loved to cook food, all of it. So it was just this constant battle that I was in with food, myself, my body, when it needed to have enough to do my exercise and things like that. And then when I got to about 30, 42, well, I'm coming to 42 now. When I got to about 30, that was when I started to think, do you know what? This has been going on for a little while now. I had done all my nutrition studies had a good understanding about nutrition and I decided that I was going to learn how to eat just without dieting without it being I'm on a diet or off a diet how do I just how do I just eat how do I feed myself I had never done that until I was in my 30s and then that's when that journey started I didn't know what intuitive eating was then I knew uh, what mindful eating was I tried all these different things I tried to figure it all out by myself and then what happened for me personally in everyone's journey, I have to say it is going to be very individual. But for me, what happened was 
my skin looked healthier. When I say healthy, it just looked more vibrant. It didn't look dry and sort of ashen anymore. My nails stopped flaking. My digestive system picked up. I was actually going to the, I was actually doing number twos every single day, which was a new thing for me. Didn't realize that that wasn't something that, I didn't realize that it was a problem that I wasn't going to the toilet every single day. I didn't know how to solve that. Yeah, I, I just carried on from there really. And then how I then came to do the work that I do. So I started to um, intuitive eating term here, reject the diet mentality at around age 30. I knew that as a nutritional therapist, because by this point I had been qualified for about three years, I knew that I didn't want to be perpetuating diet culture in the nutritional therapy work that I did. But at the same time, when people came to work with me back then, it was for weight loss. They always want to come and talk to me about weight loss. And I'd be like, eh, don't do it. And I would try and go around this sort of blood sugar balance. But it was still very diety advice. It didn't feel right to me. And I, and I didn't know how to navigate it. So I didn't do much nutritional therapy, went into corporate and did that for a while. Long story short, one day I had um, an email from a clinic called the Recovery Clinic. I must have emailed them back in the day when I must probably first qualified and was looking for clinics to work at. They said that they had a vacancy coming up, come up for a nutritional therapist. It's working for eating disorder recovery. And I was like, whoa, like this is different. And this makes sense because now I get to really practice nutritional therapy in a way that is in line with my current values. And that's how it went from there. So it was, it was a, it was a by chance thing, but I'm really, really, and I never, ever looked back because it was, it solidified so many things for me. So when I started working for the Recover Clinic, I had to continue to work on my own relationship with food and my body. You can't do that work while still holding or upholding any diet culture beliefs. So that's when I really went deeper into my own relationship with food. And, and I would say actually probably first, well, not probably definitely first started looking at body image recovery as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really, really eye-opening to hear about the things that you went through at school and the measuring and the weighing wow and it's also a really good example you said there that everyone has different experiences and that's really true and your experience there was almost having external things coming in and drawing your attention to something otherwise you might not have worried about or thought about whereas if I share a little bit more about my journey mine's almost the other way around so for me, my relationship with food changed when my relationship with my body changed. I was struggling with a lot of different things as a teenager. I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like I was pretty enough. All of these things as a teenage girl, you tend to struggle with. And I pinned all of those concerns and worries on my body. For some reason, I just decided that was the problem and kind of internalized everything and thought if I could change my body to be what I thought society's ideal was which was smaller then I would be happier everything would be absolutely fine and for me that obviously led to an eating disorder I had anorexia and I'm so grateful that I got the support that I needed when I did because I was lucky I had pretty early intervention I got support and I now do consider myself fully recovered and it's been a really long journey to get there and to do all the things you're talking about intuitive eating uh, rejecting the diet mentality but it's been so worth it and the reason recovery can be difficult and the reason, as you said earlier, our relationship with food can be difficult is because we have to eat to survive. It's not something we can ignore or go cold turkey on or just pretend doesn't exist. We have to find a way to develop a healthy relationship with it. And I do want to talk a little bit more about developing a healthier relationship with food. But before we do that, I'd be really interested to hear if you found in your work any particular groups of people that struggle when it comes to eating more than others? 
one thing I would say is that I've been doing this work since 2017 and I've spoken to many people on a one-time basis about their struggles and there's a lot of common things there and I smile because I wish I think sometimes people come to me and they think I'm I, they feel so alone in it and without ever invalidating anyone's experience there'd be people would be surprised how similar people's problems of food are and the rules that they have and the rest of it food exercise and body and those sorts that come with it but I would say when it comes to groups of people, if we think about people who lived in marginalized bodies, and when we talk about marginalized, that can be anyone that is far away from what is the center. So what is seen as the default human body, and I'm doing quotation marks again here, because in case you can't see, this isn't something that I subscribe to, but the default human body is a white, you know, thin, able-bodied, heterosexual male right and then every single time we move away from those identities then the marginalization increases the marginalization of the body increases so I would say for, the, for what I find at the moment is that a lot of eating disorder recovery is really geared towards people who are closer to that human default body and then the issues that I see are then when people live in say larger bodies so people who are in who are and I always want to be careful to not say that they live in these bodies or that they are these bodies but people who are larger in size people who are not white women um, people who are not able-bodied people who have other health conditions that sometimes the eating disorder can coincide with and actually be a part of how they're trying to manage and go through this is where I see a lot of issues I think eating disorder recovery in the way that it is taught or talked about a lot of time in the recovery space doesn't speak to the different types of people who experience eating disorders it does not discriminate and anyone can suffer. And so this idea that recovery, and so what I see a lot in the recovery space is that someone goes through eating disorder recovery, it's usually focused on one particular eating disorder, it's usually around anorexia. And then it looks like I had, I looked like this when I had anorexia and it's usually someone in a, in a smaller body. And then I recover now and look like this. Not enough is said about people who are already bigger and recover and look the same or people who in their recovery actually gain weight and go into a larger body because that was what their genetics was always going to, that's that was their, that's their genetic makeup and that's how they're always going to look. So that's I think that's where it becomes difficult and it's really important. I have to be aware of my own thin privilege when I'm working with clients in larger bodies as well because what I'm asking them to do is eat more and the fear of eating more comes with the fear of weight gain, which everyone that eats sort of recovery community has, but there's only certain people who have actually experienced weight stigma and, and that's, that's what we're asking people to do. Needs so much compassion and awareness around what it is like, what it, well, as much as we may imagine, maybe able to imagine what it is like for them to live in this society with certain body types. I couldn't agree more. I think there's so much there that listeners need to, yeah, really take on board and take away and recognise, as you said, eating disorders do not discriminate. There's one certain, yeah, type that gets talked about the most, even though I believe is binge eating disorder actually the most common. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and probably the least spoken about. And I think and and probably the most underdiagnosed one as well, because I think it often gets put down to just overeating and a lack of control and often being called again, quote unquote, emotional eating when actually it, yeah, it by far is it by far, I believe, is um the most common eating disorder out there. Yeah, exactly. And 
and also there are other types as well something we've done only this year actually because we started learning more about was ARFID as well um, which is avoidant restrictive intake eating disorder avoidant restrictive intake disorder there we go <laughs> and that can often coincide also with autism as well so there's so many different layers in there as well that we need to think about and with all of that in mind and you mentioned you touched a little bit earlier on about the way finances can in, impact people as well can you talk a little bit more about the changes that maybe need to happen on a societal and cultural level to support people to have a healthier relationship with food yeah I think thinking about that in itself so understanding that when people so for those of us who are in this profession say nutritional therapists I know when I first started doing this work sorry when I first qualified the way that we were taught and the foods that we were I don't want to say promoting but recommending in our recommendations for clients they weren't cheap they weren't cheap and I used to spend a hell of a lot of money on food thinking that this is what I had to do to eat well to be a good eater these aren't terms that I actually um, subscribe to and so I think that's something that people can think about you know when when they're you know any nutritional therapist who are listening or anyone else out there who's trying to navigate their own food relationship letting go of this idea that there are these perfect and superfoods out there that we have to spend more money on in order to be seen to be doing the right things for ourselves and how a lot of our health um, status isn't just about the, what we eat. Yes, that does play a part, but also in how we're treating ourselves in how we're protecting our boundaries in how we're moving our body in ways that are self-caring in the sleep that we get. So basically not putting all of our eggs for want of a better expression into this one basket of you have have to eat this way and that's going to result because what that takes away from or what that doesn't take into account are those who can't necessarily afford certain lifestyles be it financially or even time resource some people have to work way more than others way harder than others and, and all the rest of it and then the other thing then is the cultural piece I know for sure that when the diets that I used to do not so I'm of um, Jamaican and Grenadian heritage um, my, my grandparents are from the Caribbean none of those foods were celebrated within the diet culture they were all just vilified the idea of having macaroni cheese and rice and peas on one plate was just like a no-no in every single diet that I looked at so looking at how much the, the the diets that a person or dietary recommendations that a person is taking takes them away from their own cultural beliefs and their and their way of eating food because we don't just eat food for energy and nourishment we eat food to enjoy we have a way of connection we celebrate I mean every single birthday what do we do we have a birthday cake you know it's something that brings people together it's not we don't just eat nutrients we have food and food is often a part of you know the way that we connect to ourselves and other people as well so I don't know if that answered the question though <laughs> It, it did. It definitely did. It's, it's just looking at those and being aware of all of these things and recognising that we do need to change the way we look at these things and recognising that food is, yeah, it's a joyful thing. It's something, it's not just nutrients in our body. And at the moment, I feel that is often what a lot of wellness culture can look at, thinking food is just a fuel instead of all these other things. And we will get to a bit more about the joy of food in a bit because I'm keen to explore that. But I would love to, before we go down that route I'd love to talk a bit more about if somebody is listening to this and they're thinking I really want to change the way I view food I want to see it as a celebration and something joyful what tips could you give someone if maybe they're thinking they are struggling a little bit and they want to change how they view food 
something that I did for myself and that I encourage my clients to do as well is just to look at your own values. For me, thinking about what my own values were around food, the fact that I was feeding myself in a way that I wouldn't recommend to anybody else, in a way that I wouldn't tell my friends to do, in a way that I wouldn't tell my clients to do, told me that something wasn't quite right. So have have some time to actually really reflect on what do I enjoy about the way that I eat and what doesn't feel like it's quite me what's coming from somewhere else because a lot of this journey is about regaining your own body autonomy you having say so about what you want to eat when you want to eat you know how you want to eat within the you know within the resources that you have available to you as opposed to being told as opposed to coming from external so how much of my way that I eat and interact with food is coming from internal and how much of that is coming from external and then having to think about some of the food rules that you're either following or believe that you should be following so sometimes I I work with people who aren't they say I don't have any food rules but guilt comes up around eating food because although they're not following the rule there's a belief that they should be doing something and therefore when they have a certain food or eat at a certain time or whatever this um, limiting belief that they have around food is it brings up these feelings of guilt and shame because this journey isn't just about being able to have what you want when you want and all the rest of it it's about how do you feel about yourself or how do you feel after eating certain foods or after eating uh, after certain eating situations and then I would say if if that feels like okay that feels like really far away and I don't think I'm ready to really look into that right now think about ways that you can be more self-caring to yourself and I know self-care has become quite a buzzword but how are the different ways that you look after yourself outside of food so I talked earlier about you know sleep maybe think about movement, maybe you think about hydration, think about boundaries that you set, like when are you saying yes, when you want to say no, because oftentimes the the problems that people have with food is a mirror of other things that they um, have issues with within their life, in their day-to-day life, so sort of all or nothing thinking can happen with food, I'm even eating all of this stuff, I'm having none of it at all, that is a common thinking error that shows up in other areas of life, so not always, you don't always have to access uh, or do this journey looking at the food piece by itself because that might feel really overwhelming and if you're working if you're doing it by yourself might feel like where do I start also looking at how that's impacting your life you know outside of food as well that's a really great tip because it can be a lot to go straight into that and look at food and just once you start changing your mindset around that in different areas of your life maybe naturally it'll start to show through in there as well and I I loved what you said about internal versus external and really tuning into yourself because as you said there are so many different messages we get from society about what we should be doing it can be quite hard to tune into what's right for you and something that really helped me kind of move even further on in my journey into rejecting diet culture was changing my external views of what I was seeing to reflect what I was internally thinking so I was doing the work to not see food in a certain way. So I started diversifying my social media feeds, making sure I was following people that were living their lives and loving it free from diet culture. And the more I learned about it, the more I realized I didn't have to subscribe to it anymore. And that, yeah, food is something joyful that we can use to celebrate and yeah, connect with ourselves and connect with, our, with each other, which you mentioned earlier. And yeah, let's move on to that a little bit about the joy of food and something... I saw you mentioned on your website is about reconnecting with cultural foods. And I think that's a side of eating that really deserves our attention. So would you be happy to tell us a little bit more about this and what it can involve? 
Yeah. So as I alluded to earlier, like this idea where, you know, diet culture doesn't often celebrate cultural foods or it only does when these foods can be seen as quote unquote superfoods, avocado being a key, uh, one that always comes to my mind. <laughs> you know, growing up, we always had avocado, uh, not always when we, we could afford it, um, avocado at the side of a meal that was always part of a meal. And then this, you know, did these diets and avocado was seen as quote unquote bad because, you know, for, I don't know why they decided it was bad. And then suddenly avocado became the superfood and now it's everyone's eating avocado. I'm like, really? So I spent all those years fearing and feeling weird about eating avocado and now we're just really having it. So <laughs> I'll go on that mini rant all to say how diet culture can really, really disconnect a person from their cultural foods. The other thing, and I, and I forgot to say this in the, in the first point, that I can, uh, in that last point, I can link it all in now. Satisfaction is such a key body cue that we have around food. So we often think about hunger and fullness, which is where people can get stuck in that trap of, you know, only eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, da, da, da. But satisfaction is also a body cue that we have. And that's when we're talking about enjoyment around food. This is another area where someone isn't eating the what they really want and they're trying to do substitutes and going all around the houses and not actually having the thing they really, really want and then always feeling like they want for more. And that can look like, you know, not having the cultural foods that you really, really love and then having something else and actually just really missing those foods. Anyone from any culture can enjoy food from all cultures. And so, you know, looking at what beliefs do you hold about foods from your own culture, beliefs that you may hold about foods from other cultures, because there are a lot of messages that have been, that we may be internalizing or that you may be internalizing about those foods. And that might be disconnecting you from your own internal satisfaction cues, but also providing a nourishment barrier from you actually experiencing that, the, the joy that those foods could actually bring you. So connecting to those foods looks like, you know, learning how to make certain food. There's so many foods that I had just never learned how to make because I was just dieting for so long. And then later in life, learned how to make and just so much joy came from that process. You know, and you start to interact with food in a, in a different way or going to restaurants and actually supporting those businesses, you know, doing, doing food shares with friends. I think in the US, they call it a potluck, you know, but, you know, going to, you know, you go to like a, a barbecue or somewhere like that, you know, you get to try different food, you get to bring your food, you get to share culture in that way. So I, it's such an important piece, I believe. And that joy and that satisfaction is really the gateway to help you to connect to that. Thank you for sharing that. I think, yeah, that's so true. And it's another way of just making food exciting again. It can be boring. And I, I know I can get quite stuck in a rut and eat the same thing day in, day out. So being able to enjoy that and think about what foods you want to actually try and connecting with anything culturally as well. And the satisfaction point is such a good one. Something that I eat every day without fail is chocolate, because I know if I deny myself, then I'm going to just want it more and I just I'll just be unhappy it's just not, not going to make me happy so I know if I eat it and that's also part of intuitive eating is recognizing there's no scarcity mindset there's no I have to eat this all now because then I'm going to stop and I'm not going to be allowed to eat it again if you just allow yourself to have what you want when you want it you can feel satisfied and then you are you're, you're fine you're not going to go crazy like some people think that you're gonna immediately eat all of the chocolate in the world it's like that's not going to happen Finding the right tools for you is something we're passionate about here at Happy4. On happy4.com, you can connect with mental health and wellness professionals like counsellors, coaches, nutritionists, hypnotherapists and holistic therapists located all over the UK. 
You can also browse our online articles, self-help tips, and subscribe to our monthly magazine for a regular dose of dopamine on your doorstep. If you're keen to explore what might work for you, whatever that may be, visit happyfall.com today. And I can imagine a lot of the topics we've mentioned today are ones that you talk about with your clients. So I'd love if you could explain a little bit more about how nutritional therapy and working with someone like yourself can support people. Sure. So with eating disorders, I always work alongside a psychotherapist. Um, And what that really allows a person to do is explore the underlying emotional issues that are impacting their ability to nourish themselves, look after themselves and, and, and set healthy boundaries as well. So what working with me allows that person to do is to draw those parallels between, okay, this is what I've talked about in therapy. And this is what I noticed that happens in food. It doesn't always happen. So, uh, you know, there's no linear process in recovery, um, but that person then has more space and freedom to talk about those real underlying issues in their psychotherapy sessions. And then that gives them more space for the food piece to be spoke about the nutritional therapist, such as myself. There's always going to be crossover. Sometimes psychological themes come into, into my sessions. Obviously, I can't help a person go too deep with that, but I can help them understand how that links to their food. And then, of course, the food piece is going to go into the psychotherapy sessions as well. So it's really just working as a team in that way. But my part to play in this is really helping a person to give themselves permission. You know, very much at the beginning of the work that we do, they're seeking the permission from externals. So sometimes they need that permission from me. You get to eat chocolate. You get to have, you know, your, your rice and peas and curry chicken. You get to have that with dumplings on the side and macaroni cheese if you want to. They sometimes just need to hear that from external before they can give that permission to themselves. So that's often my, my part to play in, in the beginning of the work that we do. And then after that, it's about them just trying to understand what of these, in which ways am I, am I interacting with food that is coming from food rule and what of this is, is preference? It's really, really tricky to try to figure that all out by yourself because they're trying to figure it out whilst they have this inner dialogue going on between them and the eating disorder voice or the ED voice, as I refer to it. Everyone finds their own way to, to label that voice. And so you get to be an additional well voice in that space so that it's not just that person having to do that whole dialogue within their own head. They have an external person there to reflect it off and to hear. So this is a bit of the, the thing I love about doing that with many things I love, but one thing I really love is when a client will say something out loud that the eating disorder has told them, and then they'll say, but that doesn't make sense. And then their well voice comes through. And then just being able to point that out, that did you hear those two narratives? And sometimes they don't, they're not always aware that there are two narratives that are going on they think uh, it's just all ed actually and then they start to connect to their well voice it's just nice for them to know that there is a well voice there that can be drawn out and that both of those voices get the space actually it's important that both those voices have space in that room to be heard so that a person can continue to navigate and, and heal through that journey That's really interesting. And I definitely resonate with the well voice and the ED voice and also differentiating the two and recognizing, as you said earlier, that you are not your eating disorder. You are a person aside of that. And that's such an important part of recovery. So that's really interesting to hear. Thank you. And for anyone who is looking to work with um, a nutritional therapist, do you have any tips for them to find the right kind of support? Because there are a range of professionals out there And it's not always that easy to find somebody who resonates with how you want to look at food. So do you have any tips for anyone searching for support? 
the first thing is to try and go off recommendations that, you know, like anything else, if you've had, if you know someone who's worked with someone who's helped them, then get recommendations. That's the first thing I would say. Beyond that, have a really good look through their social media, have a good look through their website. The red red flag that I'll often point out, and I see unfortunately too often in this space, is anyone who's offering weight loss alongside eating disorder recovery and intuitive eating, turn the other direction. It's these two things cannot work together, they cannot coincide. But beyond that, it's someone who really resonates with what it is that you're trying to achieve. And, and know that you don't have to find this, there's not this one magical person who is going to help you throughout your whole journey. It might be that someone can take you some so far and that you find someone else. So don't get caught up on, in this idea that I have to find the perfect person to help me through my recovery have a look through go over your gut you can really trust that ideally someone who has qualifications around nutrition but I say that and I would tell you that that's not necessarily going to be the thing that guarantees that you get somebody who knows about eating sort of recovery I would say that, that like I said just making sure that person is talking about you know health at every size intuitive eating and their words are speaking to people of all bodies and all races and then that will often give you a, a really good starting point Great tips there. I think you're right. Looking through social media and their websites to see the kind of language they're using and what they're offering is a really great point. And on that, something I realise I haven't asked you about and listeners may not know about is intuitive eating. Could you explain a little bit more about what that is for anyone who maybe doesn't know? Intuitive eating is what we've had to call it. It's, it's normal eating is is the is the really truth of it we've had to call it intuitive i say we it's had to be called intuitive eating because of diet culture it's this intuitive eating is the way that we would have been eating before we started to take in these external messages from from diet culture and, and other places it's talking about really connecting to your internal cues really understanding your own food preferences around food it's, it's eating the way that is self-caring towards yourself also talks about moving your body in a way that is supportive to your mental and physical health so it's not basically it's just not about weight loss it's not about shrinking your body down it's about actually just really looking after yourself and nurturing your body it's a book by Evelyn Tribal and Elise I can never pronounce her surname Reese right and it goes through these 10 principles, which a person is recommended that you go for those principles in order. So for anyone who wanted to maybe start to explore this work on their own, it is a book that I would recommend you read. If you are in an active eating disorder, it can be difficult to em embrace a sort of intuitive eating because of the, the, the maybe that disconnect between hunger and fullness cues. But I would still say, give the book a read, take from it what you will. I wouldn't say it's off limits for those of eating disorders. And in fact, the fourth edition, the latest edition, actually speaks a bit more to that. So I'd really recommend it. But yeah, the principles are set out in a way that it allows a person to go through that process without rushing ahead. Because the last principle, spoiler alert, is about gentle nutrition. And it's about the ways that we can we can feed ourselves and nourish ourselves in a way that is supportive to our health without it being obsessive and counting and you know and all that diety stuff i'll make sure we share a link to that book as well so that everyone can take a look because i think as you said it's it can be tricky when you're in the eating disorder space to to get there but for me it came kind of after recovery i kind of went through the recovery process and then i started learning about it and that was when i could yeah, go even further into that. So I definitely recommend it for people to look into. And yeah, if you don't have an eating disorder, you're listening to this, it's just something you want to improve your relationship with food generally. It's a really great thing to look into. It doesn't work for everybody, not something that everybody's gonna love, but it's worth, it's worth investigating for sure. 
Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Do you have any final words of encouragement or anything that else that you want to share that we haven't mentioned for our listeners before we wrap up? I would say if I'm just speaking from my heart in terms of words of encouragement, you know, if, if some of this conversation just think feels like it's so far away from you, you start where you are, that the journey isn't always that clear. Lots and lots of self-compassion, which might be a foreign concept to some people, this idea of giving self-compassion, so good at giving compassion away to others. But what that tells me, if you're able to be compassionate towards others, you have the compassion skill. And then what you're trying to build is how to turn it back onto yourself. And so just really give yourself the time that you need to go through this journey. It's not a one and done thing. We get to good places with ourselves and our bodies and food, but we're always learning new things. We have new conversations with people and then we find new things that we can that we can look at and just understand and figure out. So Take your time, you're where you need to be right now, and it's not where you have to stay. There, you know, there is there is the next step and another step and another step and another step, but just take that first baby step and you're off. <laughs> so true. And it is really is an ongoing thing. I've yeah, I've learned that in my yeah, 37 years of life. It's an ongoing, ongoing thing. Amazing. Thank you. And if anybody wants to connect with you online, where can they find you? So the best place to find me, I'm usually over on Instagram. So at Keisha Thomas, there's also my website, keishathomas.com. And then there is where you'll also find links to my my new podcast, which is called Big T, Little T, which is really just me talking to other people around different topics, not all related to food, but definitely related to, to body and, and health and looking at it through that trauma informed lens as well. Brilliant. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. If you'd like to learn more about nutrition support and how it can help you, you can head to nutritionist-resource.org.uk and make sure you are listening next week because we're going to have our exhale episode where we'll be holding a bit more space for you to explore your relationship with food and reconnect with the joy of eating. So until then, take care. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with anyone you think may benefit and rate and review the podcast. This all helps our mission of creating a happier and healthier society. To delve deeper into the topics discussed today and to find professional support that's right for you, visit happyful.com.